and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host for this week, FG business reporter Alex Black. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday, so make sure that you're subscribed on your favourite platform. This week, we're going to be talking about bowel cancer. Bowel cancer is the fourth most common cancer in the UK and the second biggest cancer killer. Over 42,000 people are diagnosed with bowel cancer every year in the UK, but it is treatable and curable, especially if diagnosed early, and nearly everyone survives if diagnosed at the earliest stage. While more than 9 out of 10 new cases are diagnosed in people over the age of 50, it does affect people of every age. Livestock farmer Wayne Smith was diagnosed in 2016, aged just 46. He spoke to Hannah Park about his cancer battle and the road to recovery. The best place to start would be at the beginning and that early diagnosis that you got. So you obviously made that decision to go to your GP initially. We'd be interested to kind of know what, what made you do that when you did. And obviously it was a crucial time. So you managed to catch it early. And why did you um, go when you did? Back in 2016, we'd been on uh, on holiday. So we'd had a, a two-week holiday. And coming back, I noticed that um, I was going to the toilet more often than normal. Also saw that my stools were looser than they would normally be. What happened then was we, we got back off holiday. I, I basically said to Sue, are you, are you going to the loo more often than the normal? Uh, and she hadn't been. And decided that morning that I needed to go to the doctor. And pretty much from within the first five minutes of going to see the doctor, I was uh, on the table and uh, the gloves were going on. And it wasn't the most pleasant experience. However, pretty much immediately, the doctor was able to tell me at that point that uh, she realised that um, I may have cancer and that she recommended me then to go for, for further checks. That started a bit of a roller coaster journey, really. We, within um, six weeks, I'd had all of the uh, CT scans gone into the, uh, the big donut in the hospital and uh, had the, the scans to check all of my lower abdomen area. Um, one Sunday morning, we went to see the, uh, the consultant, both Sue and I. I was hoping for the best, you know, as, as you do, the expectation that it, it might be polyps or, um, or something they could, uh, could sort out. And unfortunately, it wasn't. It was uh, the cancer had uh, formed in my rectum. And uh, the reason why I was having to go to the toilet more often than normal, my brain was being told that uh, I needed to go for a poo. And that actually, I, um, I didn't. It was uh, just where the cancer was sat, uh, was telling my brain that, um, that I needed to go to, the, go to the toilet. And cancer isn't easy to digest at the age of 46. You, you think mm. it's uh, something that will happen possibly a lot later on in life and hopefully not to you. That's how the journey really, really began, Anna. I can't even imagine what must have been going through your mind at that time, but it must have been scary, to say the least, kind of in that lead up to the op and that time between the appointment and getting the surgery. You mentioned in your email about deciding to write to your surgeon and sort of explaining to him your situation and a bit of background to yourself. So I just wondered if you could talk to me a little bit about that and, and how was that received? Yeah, so so on on the Sunday morning, I realised that I'd got in Mr. Pandy, my uh, my consultant. I'd got an amazing person in front of me. The way in which he managed the information that uh, he relayed to both myself and Sue, his own charisma, and the way that he was able to reassure us that he would 
do his best. I was both shocked and stunned, but also at the same time reassured by his professionalism. And that if anybody was going to get me through this, it would be the, the surgeon. After I'd, I'd met with him on the, on the Sunday and gone through all of the pre-op details with, uh, with his, his staff team, were, who were also amazing people, cope with some really horrendous situations day in, day out, but, but still make you feel that you're the most important person in the room. So what I decided to do actually on the morning before meeting my consultant was to um, write a letter to him explaining to him that... Um, how important my my work was on the farm, how I loved my job working with the livestock and um, managing our, our farm stay accommodation that we've sort of continued to grow and is still still growing despite current COVID-19. I wrote to him asking him that if he could do his level best to try and get me through this. I wanted to make sure that to him I, I wasn't just, you know, third operation in the day but I, I actually had had a, a life that I very much wanted to uh, go on living and enjoying. I suppose it was placing a bit of guilt at his door but at that point I thought that I wanted to try everything I could to get the message over to him that uh, I wanted to come out of this the other side as unscathed as I possibly could. So in, in a nutshell yes I, I wrote to my surgeon but uh, the, the, the aim was very much to uh, not be just another person on the operating table and a, and a number in the uh, in the statistics really and I think it must, I must have read maybe in the previous article how he was pleased to receive that and I think it said something that he'd never received a letter from a patient before so I think um, I think I thought that that was really nice and um, yeah I think he'd had he'd had letters of obviously afterwards but yeah. this was the first one that he'd had prior to uh, to going on on onto the uh, operating tables. Yes, it, it might have been a first for me. It was a way of getting that message across on uh, on what was at stake, really. So, in terms of the start of your recovery post operation, you said that you were last in and first discharged, and that you'd pushed yourself maybe a bit maybe a bit too hard in trying to visit all areas of the hospital the day after your surgery but I just thought that that was really testament to your mindset that you really wanted to get better and really wanted to help yourself to do that. Talk to me a bit about what was going through your mind at that point and and what pushed you to do that. In the pre-op interviews you get a whole host of leaflets, information, more stuff than it's possible to to read. Sue, my uh, now wife, had gone all the way through uh, reading every single piece of information and absorbing it like a sponge because I wasn't really in any any mm. good place at the time to uh, to digest that nor was she but uh, could could also see the importance of reading everything that we we had so that I was in a good place going into the operation uh, so all of the things about what you should and shouldn't eat before going in for surgery especially the exercise regime after surgery and how important that is. When you have a major operation like that, the potential for your internal organs to, uh, to go to sleep after the, uh, the shock of the operation is really high. So uh, one of the leaflets was day one, one to five of what you should do post-surgery in terms of getting up the day after surgery, taking your first steps, and then the, the walking, however uh, painful it might feel 
it's really important to get all of not only your, your muscles working again, but your internal muscles in terms of the organs, getting them to do their part on uh, waking back up after the operation because they're essentially put to sleep in the operation mm. or they have a tendency to go to sleep uh, during the operation. So actual physical movement stimulates uh, the, them to think, oh, perhaps we need to get up start work again yeah I, I pushed myself I had an amazing physiotherapy team that got me up each day and uh, and walking and then uh, like you say uh, I probably pushed myself a bit too far because I did a, a number of circuits all around the hospital there's not many interesting things to see in a hospital when you're uh, walking around the place with a couple of drains coming out of various holes that have been left from the surgery but I knew how important it was to get back out there and get uh, get on with uh, my recovery how long was it between your coming around from the surgery and and going home I don't I think I think I read it was it five days or something like that uh yeah so um I actually left on day six got five days of uh, of recovery the operation was just over eight hours which uh, is is quite an ordeal there were quite a number of other people in the same ward uh, another four people in the in the same ward as me they were a lot older so age is a is a good thing to have on your side for recovery post-surgery and also the exercise parts some people weren't getting up out of bed weren't dealing with the the operation in terms of managing their own colostomy bag which I was left with after the surgery so you have to get used to very quickly dealing with what's been left behind and what what's been removed all of those things contribute to towards um you know needing to to get back on with life and uh, accept really the fact that you've been given another another chance at things even though you're left with a, a bag to empty each each day which it at the time was quite a quite a big thing to to deal with you know thinking oh you know the last thing I want to to be having is a colostomy bag and a stoma. And but you know, given the choice of being able to carry on with life, it's uh, it's not really a choice that uh, you're in a position to to do other than accept and uh, and carry on with life. I think I read there was there's a blog series I think that you've got. So I read a few of those pieces, and there was just just one about managing that. And I just thought it was just a, a really great attitude towards it like you've just said in if it's a choice between life or dealing with that then I mean it, yeah obviously it can't have been easy to start with but you've obviously managed that and, and have dealt with that and, and are now wanting to help others to do the same which um, I just think's amazing really so just sort of moving on to maybe um adapting to life post-surgery and milestones and challenges and things like that so you mentioned um that pre-surgery that you thought you know how crucial it was that you were able to return to your practical farming and a, a sort of life that you'd had before so have you been able to do that and what was the sort of impact on your mental and physical health I suppose in terms of managing expectations of what you were and weren't able to do perhaps at the start and, and what you are and aren't able to do now yeah, so uh, coming out of surgery, you really don't realise how much uh, of an impact it has on your your physical um, ability in terms of being able to do the same things that you you did before. With a stoma, uh, and, it, and mine's a permanent stoma, you have issues in terms of not being able to lift perhaps the, the weights that you were able to lift before. So things like lifting bags of feed, um, all of those things initially um, were 
were uh, out of the question. But um, I was determined it wasn't really going to to stop me. So uh, did a bit of research, and you could get different stoma belts, which helped to support the the, the abdomen and give you the, um, the the strength without the risk of um, of a hernia, which would cause further complications to the stoma. So initially, no, I couldn't lift, but now I'm back to doing things around the farm, mixing loads of concrete, feeding the sheep on a daily basis, uh, lifting bales of hay and all of all of those normal activities that you, you just really take for granted. So, but I, I've, I've not done it by putting myself at risk. I've done it on a, on a sort of measured approach to gradually building back up to that and, uh, and being able to uh, carry on with life as nearly normal as, as I can. The inconvenience initially of having to go to the toilet in a bag and uh, that can sort of happen at any time. So it's managed, but it's um, you, you don't know when you're going to go. Whereas uh, normally with uh, going to the toilet, ordinarily, you, you know when you need to go. Your stoma just does it automatically. So hence, you need a bag to, to manage that. But I was very lucky. I, after the surgery, some two weeks after, uh, I got a call from uh, Cassie Dovey who was my stoma nurse, uh, to say that um, they'd had the results through from, uh, from my operation and to say that uh, it was stage one cancer uh, that they'd, they'd found. So it was in the very early stages and it hadn't spread to any lymph nodes. So I was really lucky, firstly, that it, it was caught early. And secondly, that I didn't have to have chemotherapy, which also can have, as you, you're aware, long-term uh, issues in terms of your immune system and and complications with with skin and adhesion with with the the bags and things so um so i was really lucky in that that respect and also i was able to do a process which they call it irrigation which um allows you to irrigate completely the stoma allowing you to go 24 hours between having to go to the loo so I'm now able to manage what my output is by um, completely emptying my colon at the end of each night. You can do it in the morning, but I choose to uh, to deal with the bad stuff at night so that uh, I can get up and start my day as early as I like and fresh, knowing that you won't have that continual output through the day. So not everybody that has a stoma is able to irrigate. And in that respect, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. That helps a great deal in being able to manage and uh, I don't have to have a bag through the day. I can just wear a patch. Uh, so it, it's a lot more acceptable to me in a way that I, I can, uh, can feel more, more confident and uh, manage my, my health needs, really. This is quite a thing to be talking about on a Monday morning, really. <laughs> Perhaps you've had an amazing weekend and now we're going into, into but, but life is really good. I, I perhaps need to give you that assurance. <laughs> life is, is good now. So I just wanted to talk a bit about the farm and the business just to kind of give that a bit of a bit of perspective. So, yeah, I mean, just talk to me a little bit about the enterprises on the farm, you know, size and scale and the farm stays at the diversification that you've got on farm. The farm as a whole, Sue used to live at the farm at the top of the top of the hill, Cook, Cook Hill, uh, which was the family based farm some 30 Four years ago now, I think it is, we had the opportunity to to build and develop the farmhouse from a, a former cow shed. Since that that time, the farm has grown in terms of conversion of further buildings that we'd got on the farm into uh, guest accommodation. And when Sue and I 
uh, got together in 2006, we started to look at ways in which we could build, bring in extra income. We were both working full time to work for Ofsted as a, a HMI inspector, and I worked for um, Socontract College running Prince's Trust team programs. So in the early days, we alongside the livestock on the farm, we both work full time and we're looking at ways of bringing in extra income so that other people could also enjoy the farm and the, the, the life that we were uh, building together. And we started off by converting a property which was adjacent to the farm called the Coach House. We built that as our first step towards uh, diversification and uh, bringing extra income into the farm through uh, running a, a farm stay. We later on uh, expanded that further by, we bought a TP onto site. That was a, a good learn for us. Realised one of the fundamental problems with having a TP on the farm was it has a big hole in the roof. So it wasn't good during the summer. When it rained, it, uh, it, it let water in through the roof. So we decided to look for um, another way of getting more permanent accommodation on the farm. And we, uh, we did that through conversion of what was the old uh, grain store on the farm. We converted that that was our, our second property because things were going really well and we we had a lot of lot of people visiting Stratford upon Avon and they were looking for a place to accommodate the family for you know it could be a weekend could be uh, could be a full week stay and uh, we we gradually built built the business up we we now have three three properties on the farm just before we were locked down in uh, in March we invested in uh, three hot tubs to each of the properties. We'd initially had one which worked very well with one property, um, so decided to, to invest in a further two. Then when we went into full lockdown, we had a choice of three hot tubs that Sue and I could uh, could use <laughs> through, the, through the whole of lockdown, which we, we had an amazing summer, uh, as well as building um, a pizza oven, which we uh, Dan and I did uh, together. We built, built a commercial pizza oven to... Uh, give an extra opportunity for our guests to uh, to enjoy on the farm and that was working really well during the coming out of the, the last lockdown so we absolutely had a, an amazing summer in terms of guests onto the farm there was sort of this mad rush everybody was released from lockdown and uh, everybody just wanted to get away we worked incredibly through the the, the whole of the summer just cleaning accommodation cleaning hot tubs I kept, became a pool boy which I didn't think I would do at the age of 50, just constantly going around and servicing the hot tubs and emptying them and refilling them after each set of guests. Obviously, having to done all of the risk assessments for COVID, all of the, the chemicals that we have to now bring onto the farm to, to manage COVID in a, in a way that uh, protects both us and all of our guests on the farm. So it's been quite a journey. I think I said in my email to you that... Uh, We've, we've never spent as much money on on chemicals on on the on the farm anywhere else as we've uh, spent on uh, combating COVID during this uh, this year. But uh, hopefully that that is is going to be uh, continued to manage. And uh, with the vaccinations coming online, I think uh, we, yeah. we should see some uh, some some light at the end of the tunnel on that. I suspect maybe the summer might be similar in that the the sort of staycation will be what everyone's wanting to do so hopefully yeah, we've, we've seen a massive upturn in uh, in inquiries coming through in terms of the demand for uk staycations and the actual opportunities to uh, to, to stay i think 
that we may be in a position where the uh, the supply will outstrip the actual uh, capacity because most people are, are used to holidaying abroad and that that isn't the uh, the chance and opportunity that we have at the moment just also on the farm livestock wise what have you what have you got we we've got sheep on the farm and also through through lockdown with a uh, our local pub we we had a couple of pigs on on the farm uh, it's not the first time we've had pigs but um, normally our, our meat output on the on the pork side is is dependent on if we've got customers for it and, and we had the the broom tavern which um, supplied uh, locally and we built up a very good relationship through through lockdown with our with our local pub who then had to switch on to a takeaway service but we uh, we reared two amazing pigs through lockdown they were enjoyed by the uh, the local community but um uh, and also it gave us something uh, to do outside of covid and outside whilst we were in lockdown so so that that was a a good experience for us us and and the broom broom tavern who were actively involved in the process of bringing the pigs onto site and uh, feeding them and and mucking out of course and just to take it back a few steps so you've mentioned your wife sue um and obviously uh i think you said that you both now work full-time within the business so at the time of your operation i imagine that sue was probably quite a kept kept everything going at home whilst sort of you were in recovery so i just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and then your um decision to kind of get married and and that must have been a day, you know, filled with celebration, but also, I guess, high emotion at the fact that, that you were able to do that when you did. Yeah. So get, getting news on uh, on having bowel cancer was uh, one of those moments where it really causes you to reevaluate your life and where where you're going and what you intend to do going going forward. We both realised that whilst we we've been together for quite a number of years, we. Uh, We'd got engaged, but we hadn't made that final commitment of getting married. One of the things that that came out of it, one of the you know the good things, was that uh, we we decided what we wanted most of all was to get married. And in um, 2017, so just under a year after coming out of hospital, we got married locally in the in the church in Inkborough. Had an amazing day. Sue was still working at the, at the time, so she at that point. Had, decided to uh, take the chance of early exit from from Ofsted and gave us the chance to focus on uh, growing the farm. So Sue was brilliant through my surgery. I couldn't have wished for anybody better that uh, could have been alongside me. She kept everything going on the farm. We were actually full that that summer. We had all of the properties that were, were full and she was still working at the time and she was visiting me every day during, uh, you know, being in, in hospital. So uh, uh, she was the right choice to uh, to have by my side. That's lovely to hear. No, yeah, um, yeah. It just must have been such a. I imagine you look back on it now and just sort of think, how did how did we even do it? Something amazing to come out of that, and the fact that that you were able to get married. So that's that's really good. This whole journey has kind of changed your outlook on life, and you know what's important and things like that. Um, and that you spend some of your time now, perhaps a little bit less during COVID, but telling your kind of story um, in terms of after, after dinner speaking and, and various uh, you know communication channels. So I just wondered kind of what your experiences was of that and why you've decided to do that and why you think it's important. 
Well, look, I've done a few talks, Hannah, but I haven't ha- actually had any dinner <laughs> to go with it yet. So um, I'm always always welcome to offers on 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 that front. But um, I got involved in the National Patient Survey, and we did a, a talk to both patients and also their carers at the uh, Worcester Royal Hospital, which is where I had my surgery. And it was um, a national bowel cancer awareness group that um, got together to discuss the issues of having bowel cancer on uh, people's mental health. Um, and I got along, asked along to, uh, to go and give a talk on, on my journey and, uh, and how I, I felt um, I, I'd managed that. And also, um, we've been actively involved in in uh, mentoring other people that had been diagnosed and um, were were waiting on the, on their surgery, uh, and that's been really rewarding and also a, a way of feeling that you're able to help others to be a little bit more accepting of uh, of, of where they're they're at. I was also approached by um, Oxford University to do a, a bit of research on uh, post-operative care and support sort of beyond beyond cancer and uh, what, what my experience has been of, of the journey as well i'm open to other other offers so uh if um if anybody would like like me to come along and sort of share the experience and uh how you can actually get back to reasonable health following bowel cancer surgery then uh, more than more than happy to do so thanks to hannah and to wayne for sharing his story and if you want more information on bowel cancer and the symptoms, visit bowelcanceruk.org.uk. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform to keep notified of new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back next Tuesday. From all the team at Farmers Guardian, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.